We both have the sense that the theme for this should be very Muppet-like. I don't know. I get that vibe for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually, I, I think it was middle of last week, realized that I might be working with the person who can actually make our theme song. Oh, no way. Oh I've, been, I've been, I've uh, been, so back in like, early March, early April, when I like went out and was like, hey, does anybody need an Adrienne voice? And I got a couple projects my way. I've been mixing this album of this woman who had me sing harmony on a thing, Uh uh, just one song at a time. And she's got, her brain works as such that she has a horn section in her head at all times. And I was like, it just occurred to me, I don't know, four days ago, I was like, wait a second. Ah... we could totally, I bet she could do some sort of like 50s, 60s television show theme. Like there was, a, there was a kid's show, You Can't Do That on Television back in the 80s that okay. has a similar yeah. vibe. Yeah, I think so. Of our doot, 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 and then other yeah. shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was, I was going to ask you, do you want me to reach out to her, see if she's got... Yes. Totally. Okay, great. Yeah. Brilliant. See, sometimes it's like, it's the little things like that that make a project real for you. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, like not essential, <laughs> uh, but man, yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> and then piece by piece, you build a thing out of all the different ideas. Absolutely. Well, and I just, mm-hmm. you know, just make sure that uh, both of us watched a lot of the older shows mm-hmm. prior to like, because we... I've watched a lot of TV. I've got mm-hmm. more than the 10,000 hours in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. World-class expert. That's the term that you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> expert television washer. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Above 10,000 hours. That's what that, that's the term. Mastery. World-class expert. Yeah. Of television mastery, mm-hmm. which was hilarious because uh, a friend brought me some stuff from the grocery store. Because these are the days where people are like, I'm at the grocery store and you're not. Can I get you anything? And you just drop it on your porch. Uh, she was telling me she watched the movie The Old Guard, which I watched and we talked about yeah. maybe a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And she she thought it was awful. She's like, the dialogue's really bad. And I was like, Charlie's people get shot and they kick each other's asses. And yeah, it's an action movie. It's an action movie. And I was just there like. There was dialogue? <laughs> I was trying to figure out. Yeah. Uh, she's like, she's like, literally, literally, somewhere in the movie, one of the characters says, "You remember the one time I killed the guy who killed me?" And she's like, "Watch it back. It happens." And I was like, "I believe you." But here's the thing: it's an action movie, so people who enjoy action movies, like the scripts being good, is this new invention of yeah. like, from Marvel. Yeah, yeah hiring like real writers to do action movies that's that's fucking weird and it's great if you're a real action fan you should know how to enjoy an action movie with a shit script (laughs) because if you're if you've only watched action movies with good scripts (laughs) yeah and i was like missing out 
I care about you. I care about your ability to enjoy the things that you're watching. So yeah. as an expert on watching things, and not only just watching things, but the lighting in some of the worst movies ever made and still getting grand amounts of enjoyment, I think that you should model my strategies for that. And yeah. I can totally teach you how to never have an awful movie experience again. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like one of the ways that I do it is that I... I drop in at the top of, if it's, if it's an action movie, I just drop in at the top and I was like, I'm going to start in the flow of eight-year-old Adrienne. Mm. And, then, and then if it meets some expectations and also impresses 12-year-old Adrienne, it can still be a great experience. Like, but, but like if you get to like, you know, Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok, and, and it's like, holy fuck, 40-whatever yeah. Adrienne is like, yeah, this is the best. Like, but you just start little. Start little. And it's like, oh, bang, bang. Yes. Dang, pun, fart jokes, punching, all of that. It's good. Pacific Rim was a movie like that for me. <laughs> like, I really needed to go back to 10-year-old Nicholas yeah. to get into that one. But when I did, it was great. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. Yeah, well, and sometimes I forget to do the thing. And I'm like, oh, this is, wait. Fuck it. Like, yeah. Little Me would think this was sweet because, look, explosions. Yeah. Not that I wasn't yeah. sophisticated in my tastes at eight. It's just not useful <laughs> to, to spend time, yeah, in a state of non-enjoyment. Well, there is another way to enjoy bad movies, mm -hmm. uh, which is a kind of masochistic strategy that I know you're familiar with, <laughs> which is when you aim for bad, like you're yeah. going for something that, and then the enjoyment is how much it doesn't match up with your expectations of what a movie should be. Right. And, and the, the, the cringe element of it, the, the, the how did this get made element. <laughs> of it <laughs> which is another to way story. to enjoy a movie yeah. like it doesn't you don't have to go into the story you can also separate from it and still be in enjoyment totally you'd be like oh this is someone's like this is someone's cousin yeah and <laughs> of someone important and this is just every thanksgiving they've been yeah. talking about this movie yeah <laughs> I'm watching a person have a midlife crisis right now. This movie is this person's midlife crisis. Yeah. That's fun. Oh, hey, guess who we are? Oh, right. Uh, can I guess? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> we are the Enlightened Couch Potato Show. And what do we do here, Adrienne? Well, we help people. To, oh my gosh, there's that sentence. Oh. We help people to learn how to TV deeply, oh. which also yeah. can potentially Good. mean that we help people learn how to watch movies and television for maximum psychological. So close. So close. You're like three words away. Uh, and uh, spiritual development. Good. Yes. Yeah. I give it a like 8.9. Uh, you You'll, I splattered you'll get the to landing. The 10. It's no, it's not. It's it, very little to go. It's perfect. Yeah. Should that have been a dive? It was a, a splat. Right. Well, no, 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 no. It was okay. It was okay. It's just a little bit of tweaking. <laughs> oh, man. You know, consonants and such. I uh -huh. just get so sleepy in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> of, of sentences? Sometimes. <laughs> They're so long sometimes. I'm just tired. Yes, all the words have so many syllables. So I'm uh, Adrienne Gunn. And I'm Nicholas Rave. 
Yeah, we're two personal development junkies and somewhat experts. We're, we are yeah. always in levels of mastery of utilizing tools to help people change their lives. And also we're experts at watching a fuck ton of television mm-hmm. and movies. We uh, became aware a few years ago that we shared a strategy that we kind of, I don't know if we both thought that it was a, like a, a unique thing to us that when we watch movies and TV, we try to make it into a transformational experience. And there's a lot of different tips and tricks that we've figured out over the years um, on how to do this. Um, For me, I like to weave in a bunch of hypnosis stuff and Joseph Campbell stuff about the hero's journey and archetypes. And um, Adrienne has her favorite methods. Yeah, my methods are I'd like to, I'd like, you know, I'd like to be somehow different or better in some way, drop in and then find myself sobbing or notice the shiver feeling or whatever, mm. and just sort of like expand into Einstein time and sensations in my body and go like, oh, yeah. something's happening. I don't know what yet, but next week it'll be different. Yeah. Boy, we sound crazy. <laughs> Isn't that neat? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm so comfortable here yeah. <laughs> in crazy town. <laughs> I've been working on a slogan. Uh, there are two kinds of people, and we're not one of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, good one. Okay, what did you? What have you been watching, Adrian? Yeah, so I am wearing my uh, "From the Ashes We Will Rise" uh, the 100 shirt today. Oh. I actually matched the shirt with the subject. Nice. I've, Finally went back to watch the final two seasons of the 100. Okay, catch me up again because I honestly don't remember what this yeah. show is. So the 100, the, the concept of the 100 on one level is it is after nuclear fallout mm. and those who could escaped to um, space stations. And so there's a, about 13, nine or 13 space stations that form together to share resources in what they called the ARC. And the idea was they were I supposed to survive one. Keep going, though. for 100 years. They were supposed to have yeah. resources enough for 100 years and then go back to the Earth because that was about what they calculated it would take for the Earth to heal after all of these nuclear weapons. Uh, yep, yep. But at 60-something years or so, they've, they're running out of resources. So they send 100 of their juvenile delinquents back to the Earth to find out if it's inhabitable. And when they get to the ground, they find out that they're not the only ones who are there. That is the start of the premise. I'm sure that they found a shorter way to say that (laughs) (laughs) in the Netflix description. That set it up quite nicely. So one of the things that makes this a really powerful and interesting show to watch is we we strip humans down to survival mode. And uh, there's a collision here of technology and just surviving in the elements of like and zero technology there's a collision of guiding philosophies of different people there's the collision of like everybody seems to make completely different decisions when they're in surviving mode and i know that like the idea that there are no villains is still kind of a newish idea mm. in the progression of filmmaking and television. Mm-hmm. We're getting more of this anti-hero or more of more re- well-rounded storytelling around yeah. villainy and this idea of good versus evil is just being stretched open and grayed nuance. out. We're getting more nuance. Yeah. Well, this show in particular was one of the first. And so this, you know, they have seven seasons. So 
seven-ish years ago when I started watching it, um, the, the thing that was spectacular to me was that they were able to give us a very clear story of the idea that everyone is doing the very best they can with the circumstances and resources mm-hmm. that they have. And this is one of our presuppositions and, and ideas around NLP that we're around. Like everyone really is doing the best with the information that they have, with the resources that they have and who they yeah. are, right? This show was the first thing I'd ever seen that really clearly motivates every single character's extreme choices. Mm. Uh, so I thought, I think that that's valuable because it helps us to, to extrapolate like this, this creative project helps us to completely understand tribalism the role of religion, the role of spirituality, the role of technology, the role of all of these influences on humans trying to survive in, in circumstances. And if you make it so extreme that it's just about survival, we can, we can kind of understand why even just like doing normal life in non-extreme circumstances can be challenging. And they really, they really take that to some, some like, philosophies of faith philosophies of you know ai shows up in the show the themes of vengeance and revenge and justice and truth and what is the right thing to do Mm. and can humans transcend tribalism and can they transcend is is love of another person is that a selfish thing or should it be love of all the ideas of these we know it is sort of the values hierarchy of the group think versus like um individual you know uh, achievements like all of these themes are on the line in the show and now that i've seen i actually might need to watch the ending again because the perspective there at the end is very interesting. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I didn't leave feeling resolved about our ability to like, here's the deal. If you narrow down society to just about 400 ish people. Yeah. Uh, and they all have completely vastly different faiths and they all have weapons and the ability to like, like it, it can get hard to just govern a small group of people. Yeah. And that's a bit insane to to just, just wrap my brain around that we've been humaning for a really long time and that we have this amount of peace is pretty fantastic, but it's it's really fragile too. Yeah. And so, yeah, that show just, the good news also is that the characters are, are pretty compelling. Well, I think, you know, stories where they put you in those extreme, where they put their characters in the extremes of human experience mm-hmm. are, we've talked about this before. An- another value of that is just living through it and being like, what would I do yeah. um, in that situation? Trying it on, I think in your imagination, you lose a little bit of fear of it, which is why I think, you know, uh, stories sort of necessitate drama and uh, danger <laughs> and stuff. But it sounds yeah. like that when you were describing it, the term morality play came to mind. A little that, bit. Like you were, you were talking, and I don't mean that as a bad thing. I mean yeah. like a good tale about making the right choice 
in a difficult situation, that's a morality play. That's what it's right. supposed to be. Yeah. And whether there is a right choice, yeah. uh, living with the results, uh, how forgiveness works, is it necessary? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that work? There are just the impos- impossible choices. What's, what's really great and also hard about this particular show is almost all the time there's a plan and then things go awry or people make new decisions and you sort of adjust. So, so what you think's about to happen always gets sort of turned around in ridiculous and crazy ways, which sometimes makes it a hard show to watch because everything's always sort of fucked up. If you like rooting for any particular path, maybe that's a, I haven't watched Game of Thrones. Maybe that's a Game of Thrones thing too. We're like, a, ah! a bit, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> that twist and turn in every like five minutes from now, it's going to be very different and we don't even know. We don't even know. And that's a little stressful to watch. Yeah. Even if you're expecting it. Oh, we don't know. Now someone new is dead or something weird happened or, oh my God, time. Uh, so I took a break from it because I was just that, that, that ever, the no breath yeah. between the chaos was, at whatever point I was watching it last time, it was just like, ah just need a little more calm i don't want to be in resonance with chaos every 20 minutes well i think we go through phases i mean and i i think there's also some of these things are an acquired taste like did you always enjoy stories like that at all or have there been times in your life when you were not in a place where you wanted to watch things like that uh well there yeah i think there was a gap of maybe 10 years between, hey, I like action stuff. And, yeah. and, and I like, so <laughs> what I, what I enjoyed watching in my early twenties, well, through all my twenties that decade, I, I just like really liked indie flicks and ensemble movies. Like for instance, I'm about to watch a movie with Susan Sarandon. <laughs> I don't remember the title, but the, the premise is, she's uh, going to die. And I think she's going to, she's asked, she's gathering her family to ask them to kill her. Cause she's got some sort of terminal thing and she just wants oh, to go on her yeah. own terms. I'm like, I, uh, yeah, oh, that sounds awesome. So most of my twenties, <laughs> I would watch ensemble movies of like, they return that's, home after a drug addiction, blah, blah, blah. And stuff happens where they've been gone. Well, that's just crash. a different kind of no breath, like uncomfortable <laughs> experience, you know? Yeah. Well, and the whole thing is like, or a movie where they're like two people, sit in a cafe and talk to each oh, yeah. other. <gasps> yeah. Oh, I love it. And I would watch that movie several different times over. So that was, that was what I was into in my twenties. And then somewhere mm, early thirties, I was like, I seem to have an easier time doing life after I watched an action movie. Mm. <gasps> and so I got into that. So those are my phases. Although, I think uh, the other thing happening for me in COVID world is I seem to be watching or pulled towards watching romantic oh, really? movies and things because in some ways I can satisfy that tingly sensation of longing and love existing yeah. and like, yay, without necessarily, for me, it doesn't necessarily exacerbate my like, oh, you know, people have germs mm. and uh, issues. And I, I don't, I don't think I want any of that right now. <laughs> yeah, just a just a little bit of a, a t- trickle of <laughs> human connection and intimacy. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> That's where I'm at. What are you watching? Well, <laughs> my movie uh, was a blast from my past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't a childhood movie. No, uh, <laughs> it was not. <laughs> that also was a blast from the past. But um, uh, so this goes on a little bit of a journey because it's going to go from that one to talking about a couple of other experiences that I've had that I, I felt were related. So the movie is a, Oh, so shitty Disney movie called Mr. Boogity. Um, and it, it looks like a community theater VHS production. It's, there's a couple of actors in it you might recognize from something. I can't remember what the dad, what else the dad was in. I've seen him mm-hmm. in something. But, oh, my God. It is, like, my my sister said she saw that it was on Disney Plus and tried to watch it, and she couldn't get through it. And I sat there, and I, I watched the whole thing. Yeah, it's just it's just aggressively uh, uh, annoying <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, Sounds amazing. <laughs> but it, it, it's... Uh, it's I don't know. It's sincere in a few parts, but but the real point was that movie scared the ever loving <laughs> crap out of me when I was a little kid, and that's what I found profound was sitting there and watching it and being like, okay, <laughs> How, what must I have been like? What must the world have been like? What must my brain have been like yeah. at that time to get scared by this? Like, go watch it if you want a good laugh about me and what scared me as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I remember very specific moments. I remember green footprints on the wall. And I remember the dad getting possessed, which was a very scary concept to me. Um, so I watched my two-year-old discover his shadow the other night. Oh, we went for a walk <laughs> and he loves going outside. Like every time he can get to go on a walk, we, uh, we can. And so it was after dinner and it was dark and he's like beating on the door and he goes outside and he's running and he looks down and he saw the shadow of a palm leaf and it looks a little spidery. Mm-hmm. And he looked at it and went <laughs> and turned around and ran back over to me. And I don't see this kid scared very often. Like he's, you know, got a pretty chill life and he's happy most of the time. And and he's not super uh, timid about stuff. Um, but you could see like real fear. Like he was like, what is that? Because in his mind, he's like, that's a creature and it's yeah. about as big as me and yeah. it's black and it's really close to the ground and it looks like it has a lot of legs. <laughs> and so we go over and we're like, oh, buddy, it's okay. And I pick him up and we like show him the leaf and show him the shadow and he's still a little bit like this. And then, <laughs> then I set him down and he turns and he sees his own head <laughs> and he's looking at the ground. And then I moved my hand up and he looks over at my hand and looks at the shadow. And then he puts his hand up and then he's looking back at the leaf and like, you're watching like 
new neural connections <laughs> being made at a billion a second. And he's like putting all this together. Um, it, it just, it's, it made me think about how stories impact us differently when we're kids and how stories impact you differently at different stages in your life. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, today, just today, I had an amazing experience with my older boy, Pierce. He's 11 years old now. And I asked him if I could talk about this. Um, we were watching, he, he forgot his science textbook at his mom's. So I was like, well, you're going to have to do science anyway. So how about I get to pick what you're going to do? And I think he was expecting this to be a punishment. So I brought him down and we put on this YouTube video that I found. It's called Life Beyond. Go look it up. The second episode, I haven't watched the first one yet. Second episode is all about the possibilities of different alien life in the universe and they like do this metaphor of like imagine a museum or a, a yeah museum with all of the life forms in the whole universe and then they like break it down and it the visuals and the music it is stunning i'm like i told him i was like man imagine if school was like this imagine if all your science classes were taught to you this well and this engaging mm-hmm. um and he was like oh i know um, <laughs> Except so, that could be our future. That's my point. That's my point. It's like you Should find be. you watch this and you're like, how can you not be fascinated by science? The last moment of this whole video, I won't give it away, but the the <laughs> sense of curiosity and awe that it inspires literally brought me to tears at the end of the video. At some point in the middle of the video, Pierce raised his hand and I paused it, and I don't remember exactly how this came up but he basically said i think there has to be reincarnation i was like okay why and he said well because it just can't be blackness at the end of it and i said well and i could tell that he was like pretty serious about this Mm -hmm. and i was like well i mean i guess that's the thing is um i know a lot of people want to believe that a lot of people want to believe that it's not over and it's not just nothing um and he came kind of came back and started talking about his own fear of mortality and we got into this movie about alien life opened up this door about him being like, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to end. I don't want to die. And I told him about a book that I've been reading called The Worm at the Core. Mm-hmm. Do we talk about this? I don't think so. So there's a quote. Uh, uh-oh, did I close the window? Give me one second because I actually sure. really want to get this and it won't take me long. Uh So the quote is, uh, American philosopher and arguably the first psychologist ever, um, William James, wrote that the knowledge that we must die is the worm at the core of the human condition, a universally shared fear that informs all our thoughts and actions from the great art we create to the devastating wars we wage. Um, And he makes a case that 
we basically built civilization to shelter us from the, uh, from the knowledge that you have, one day you have to die. Mm-hmm. And in Buddhism, the, one of the core tenets is, I know that I will die, and I cannot know when I will die. Therefore, how should I live? Which is like the most basic question but it's so profound when you really start to think about it. And I shared all this with my 11 year old (laughs) and I was talking to him about this. And I was saying like, to me, I think the key is what I, this is for me, what has worked. And I shared this with him was, um, was agnosticism. Agnosticism is a word that means I don't know. Mm -hmm. It means it's possible, but it's also possible that it's not possible. (laughs) And, Agnosticism is learning how to be okay in the I don't know space without getting too attached to either one of them because you really don't know. And anybody who claims to know is lying or misled mm-hmm. in some way. And, and I, I, I think it helped. He seemed, to, he seemed to feel like it was helpful. Yeah. And... And then I said, you know, I don't think most kids your age are like really thinking about a lot of this stuff. (laughs) And I think that it's probably true after I said that, um, that I think a lot of kids don't think about this kind of thing. But I I think it's probably more than you think. Oh, yeah. No, I recall having reincarnation conversations as a young tiny tiny young person and like existential crises yeah, of an 11 year old jesus makes sense and yeah and these all yeah. these other things that you know exist well here's what's interesting i think so the different the different amounts of human stories about what's possible and what people experience here it seems as though reincarnation makes sense and is likely in not the way we think about it Right, so right. if we're thinking of like there's you live a life and then you die and then then what happens after right as a trajectory i think we're proving that we as as like no energy is like destroyed that, right. that concept we're learning that we have knowledge stored from people who came from before us so maybe that's yeah. told in stories of like i remember this past life and it was like well i am made up of the right. genetic coding information of everything that's been before me. I'm also made up of the information from all the food that I'm eating. Uh, and I'm made up of senses and I can pick up on like, there's, there's ways that a humans can begin to tell a story and they might frame it. Like I'm remembering a past life and you might be hearing the story that's stored in your knee of, you know, a couple thousand years ago, in your lineage that I think we're proving that that's a thing. The other thing that on the other side of a, of a death is that are a lot of experiences people are having with the continuation of a human's, like a person's story or they're showing up. So there are hu- there are people who are channeling the energy of, so there's a lot of humans who are having the experience of people aren't gone when they're gone. They're still here. Mm. Some, in some way mm-hmm. and they are and I don't know what to do with the mediums and that sort of phenomenon of hey that person's still here and this is how they show up their energy is still doing I like Coco speaking of enlightened couch potato yeah there there's three deaths right 
There's when you die physically. Um, and then I can't remember the other one, but then the other one is when the last person who knows your name dies. Um, and that, to me, where, is, where does immortality exist? They call him the immortal bard. Why? Mm. Because fucking Shakespeare will never die. As long as humanity exists, Shakespeare will exist. So mm. that's where you live in the immortal sense. So I think of it as like, you know, that science fiction concept of um, if you had a teleporter that could teleport you from earth to Mars mm-hmm. um, instantaneously. You like close your eyes on earth and you open your eyes and you're on Mars. But then it turns out <laughs> that it's actually not teleporting you. It's just making a copy of you and then disintegrating you on earth. So from a consciousness perspective, you wake up on Mars, but that's a problem for most people because if that machine ever broke and for like 10 minutes there were two of you like we got we got issues philosophically at that point yeah but what if that's what it's like to die that like you do die but then another version of you wakes up in the imaginary dimension the dimension of memes the dimension of memories the dimension of the collective unconscious and it's not a physical place but it is a real place and uh you know michael jackson elvis jesus uh even obi-wan kenobi and yoda and the buddha and um all of these people exist even zeus and um ra those characters still exist you're a character in that world in Mm -hmm. some people's minds yeah yeah some of the 100 is is in that realm too yeah a lot of lot more shows that i'm that i'm watching lately are are, you know what is it altered carbon talking about these people who have figured out how to like store consciousness somewhere and put it in new bodies and who the heck that means and that worm at the core thing mm-hmm. is has really been hitting me because for like a while, I don't remember if I shared this with you, but for a while I was really obsessed with um, Freud's concept of a death drive. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. That he, he like identified this idea that um, human ma- beings may have a drive, like uh, deeper than instincts are drives. And the drive, they may have a drive for destruction and death and suffering. And okay. um I, uh, I think I pretty vehemently disagree. (laughs) Um, but I think that, uh, understanding it would became an obsession for a while, but I think that what I was actually circling around, um, I think they are actually talking about in the worm at the core, because there's, there's something that is evoked through art, like, um, I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me is one of my favorite artists, H.R. Giger. Do you know who that is? Mm-mm, no. He, he did the design for the alien in the alien movie. Okay. And his art is very um, uh, death and birth and um, very dark and uh, alien and scary. Um, but it's evocative of these, for me, deep places in the collective unconscious. Right. And um, there's a book that was written by a guy named Stanislav Grof, who is considered like the godfather of um, transpersonal psychology, who basically writes that Giger's art is um, connected to 
birth trauma basically that it's okay. all about the fear of death and this um and th that that's what it's meant to evoke inside of us and we find it repelling for a lot of people that they don't like it because it brings this thing up to the surface that we're all trying to forget about and the worm at the core speaks to how important it is to realize how important this is <laughs> to yeah. you because most people are like i don't sit around afraid to die all the time what are you talking about but it's there under yeah. the surface. I've been thinking a lot lately in the second the second show that I started watching was the La is the last kingdom. It's about a uh, a person who was both Dane and um trying to remember the name of the Saxon, both Dane and Saxon. Okay. And he ends up being a warrior who fights for King Edward at this point in the story, but the, his father before. Anyway, so it's got the whole, like, the Danes and the Saxons and everybody fighting and the Welsh, who apparently in their model of the world are apparently large, really unattractive redheads. I don't know why. I just, really, I just noticed. It might be, um, it might be racism. Mm. Like, specifically, the Welsh are hands down, interestingly depicted in this show the last kingdom you can check it out uh, i'm not making this up but like what, it what looks is intentional <laughs> <laughs> it must be because okay. it's pretty pretty clear perspective happening in the show of who the, who the well, well the welsh are anyway so um <laughs> having watched the 100 and then now watching last kingdom of these and also in this time i keep thinking about is it is it something about death? Is it something about survival? We have millennia and more of a kind of tribalism, a kind of frontierism, a kind of uh, colonialism. This like this conquering, very masculine conquering thing. There are communities of humans who had existed with the earth and with resources, and they replenished, and they 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 had a different relationship with humanity and with where they lived. And because of the relationship that they had and their abundance of resources, being near enough to people who had fewer resources and a completely different personality and priorities, they were slaughtered. So cool. We do not have uh, – I'm not living in a country that came from humans – like, well, they did. We slaughtered them. So there's this, all of this like, oh, here's land. Let's go into the land. Let's slaughter. Yeah. There's this like, is that a – is that born of like – something about death and mortality or is that like lizard survival shit that keeps like i just need to keep making cells keep making cells fuck things eat all the stuff like there's this voracious appetite of conquering that seems to keep going and i think that we've expanded to most of the places that we can expand to. And there are still humans who are like awesome let's go to Mars let's go to the moon because they just have to keep eating the next fucking thing and conquering the next fucking thing. And I'm like, eh, maybe there's another. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know whether it's specifically, maybe there's a human parasite that exists in how we, I don't know. I don't know if it's inherent. I know that it's part of the, the path we've been on for a while. I know that also the religions who were most willing to kill other people are the ones that are still around right now. So that's a thing. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's just, we don't have a lot of written documents from before then because 
writing is part of the story. I think we might be on the precipice of some new, new ways of existing as humans. And I think having sort of run out of resources, part like part of helping that, and it was like, oh wait, we're we're kind of out of space. Ah. Uh, are, are we so different than everybody else? Maybe, maybe not. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. But yeah, there seems to be this really voracious, like, we're, we're the virus thing going on. Yeah, I have had enough experiences in my personal life and with the clients that I work with where I see things go to chaos before they get better um, and that that is part of bringing the trauma up to the surface and that when it happens, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like progress. It doesn't feel like, um, uh, like I should uh, surrender to this and trust that this is actually a good sign. Um, and of course, the, the turkey feels every day of the year leading up to Thanksgiving that <laughs> humans really love it. <laughs> right they think what well, like t- we have 364 days worth of evidence that human beings apparently worship turkeys as gods <laughs> they take care of us all the time and yeah. that evidence leads <laughs> right up until the very end but my <laughs> my feeling is that um i'm generally more optimistic um i i, I think that this I don't see how you can look at what's going on in the world right now and not see it as birth pains. Yeah, yeah. Something is being born, or at least like adolescent growing pains. That it's like eh, I don't want to grow up and be mature, and um, yeah. yelling and screaming and slamming doors and kicking stuff. Yeah, and then coming in and being hyper goofy and yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just these like two shows of all of these warring tribes is where my brain has been in the last couple of weeks. And, oh, well, and also, I God, I watched this amazing interview between Kyle Cease and Lewis C. Howes. Uh, School of Greatness is Lewis's podcast. I think I watched it on YouTube. It's maybe a year old within this. It's before COVID. And the two of them are talking about wealth and business and... Kyle Cease is very dropped in. I think he's trained in like Hakomi. He's trained in a philosophy of what emotions are actually for. Phenomenal episode. The most clearly, one of the most clearly articulated explanations for how, why we have emotions and what's happening when we're, we're crying, how change works, that sort of thing. It's awesome. Cool. And what's really fascinating to me in Kyle this seems episode, like he's evolved then since when I last checked him out. Yeah. He's, he's pretty groovy. That's uh, awesome. And Lewis also more recently wrote The Masks of Masculinity. And in the last six-ish years, he's been doing a process of understanding and healing this toxic masculine uh, story yeah. and where it lives in his body. And what's really fascinating is as Kyle is talking about emotions and their value, Lewis still has the language of a colonizer He's like, how do you conquer fear? And how do you like, like he's still like, and and he should, it makes sense. This is a gentleman who was 
beat up and traumatized when he was little for not being a strong enough kid who became a professional fucking football player. And then he became a fucking multimillionaire entrepreneur and got all the cars and the hot chicks and the whatever. And then somehow six-ish years ago, he's like, why does my life still feel awful and suck? So he's like on the journey. It's really fascinating to, to watch the two of them have this conversation about emotions and the depth of that and and still hear the ring out of uh this is still a frontier conqueror like philosophy and language you're still using and i was like ah i don't know super fascinating to me i think you'll dig it i think you'll dig the episode i like it i mean my view of that uh dichotomy is what we're wrestling with is yin and yang and you need both that like that conquering thing is has its downsides that we are quite well aware of in the world that we live in right now because the world that we live in right now is hyper yang um and the yin side also has its dark side and that Mm -hmm. is happening right now too and that's why a lot of the people who are more on that yang side are going well i'm not going all the way over there well it's like there's the individual and the collective orientation in your mind and they they both exist and that real growth is learning how to work with both of them and learning how to like resolve that paradox um yeah. And it sounds like that they were doing that a little bit in, yeah, in well, I know, what they were talking about. I know that Kyle he doesn't explicitly say anything about the language that uh Lewis I mean like he clearly articulates his point and then Lewis still speaks and uses language. It's something I'm noticing. Hmm. It's a really funny thing. He, he talks about, like, he does talk about, like, like you don't need to conquer fear. There's a different thing you do with your emotions. Mm. You, and I don't think he uses the word embrace. Like, he, it's better for him to describe. Like, like we can put oh, a link Oh, I'm going to check it out. I'm very excited. That sounds great. Yeah. He's like, you make space for it. You create a space for your feelings to be. And then you take, and you create space for that smaller you that's having the feeling and telling you the thing. You like say yes to it. You notice it. You give it time. But you are the space and you are the bigger person and you are now an adult. Mm. And you let it do the thing. And you notice all of those happening all at once. And I'm just like, yeah. And I'm like, Lewis can still write his like conquer fear, conquer self doubt book. And it's so cute how that's not the point yeah. of the episode by the way, he's been in the whole hour. <laughs> if you're listening to what uh, Adrienne was just describing, that process of making space for it, and um, that is the work. When people talk about doing the work, that's the work right there. That's the place where the real healing and transformation comes. And for most people, you need someone else to guide you through that. You need might be the wrong word, but boy, is it easier Mm -hmm. to have somebody there to make it safe to do it, to tell you to do it. It's like having a personal trainer for your emotions. Like when you have a personal trainer for exercises, you're outsourcing your willpower. They can be like, okay, give me one more. And you could be like, but I'm going to do it anyway. And like, that's what a coach or a therapist is supposed to help you do is like, do the stuff, you know, that if you did it, it would help you, but you're not going to do it unless somebody's there making sure you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's the even bigger thing in our point of our entire show is that in the same way that Kyle Cease in this episode 
gives Lewis an experience with his emotions and he's guided through it, you can sit down and watch someone in a television yeah. show go through an emotional experience. And when you choose to say yes, yes. And drop in fully, you get to allow your receptive mirror neurons and your empathy and all of that to have that same, if you have the space to hold someone else's story for an hour or so mm-hmm. and have their emotional experience be part of your own emotional journey, you get to also have the healing that they have as well as other things your unconscious mind wants you to know from saying yes to the, the television show and their experience inside. It's like ringing a tuning fork and then holding another tuning fork right next to it. And the second one will start vibrating at the same frequency as the first one. Mm-hmm. And when you can do that with movies and TV, you can do it with music too. You can do it with a book, but movies and TV are just really easy to do. You can, you can tap into that space where it, uh, it resonates with you. And some emotional experiences that the character is having or that the, the script is trying to make you have are going to be more or less profound. But then there's some where it'll hit you and for whatever reason, let it. Like for me, Moana is like one of the perfect examples of that. I can't watch five fucking minutes into that movie before I start crying. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I think I'm in earlier. The just that starts. Yeah, yeah. There are parts of that movie that are the most predictable way to bring up a very particular and beautiful feeling in me. The end when she's singing to Tefiti and she comes over and they touch foreheads and I, oh my God. I can't even listen to you talk about it. I know. <laughs> that movie is perfect. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, let's um, let's call it a show. Like yeah. we went on quite a journey there, and I really enjoyed that. Um, so uh, thanks everybody for watching, and uh, join us next week. Uh, same bad time, same bad channel, same Absolutely. bad shit, crazy. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I look forward to talking <clears throat> even more with you about stuff we're watching. This is my bad. Um, bye bye. All right, bye friends. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.